Say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now. Oh, right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I Through 
the Bible. We're the Simpson family. My name is Sean. And I'm Ariel. Um, we're going to talk to you guys a little bit about ourselves. Some of you guys know us. Those who don't, uh, we're missionaries. We're currently doing missions here locally in Houston, Texas. Um, the pandemic um, prevented us from getting back out to South Africa. And so we wanted to um, allow God to use us here locally. And so um, we're here in an at-risk community. Um, the street that we're on is well known for prostitution and drug abuse. But over the six months that we've been here, God has really been moving. Um, we've had the opportunity to, to start a small uh, a church. Um, we've also had the opportunity to, to start a, a small library, an after-school program. Um, there's food distributions and build relationships. And so we've seen people come to Christ. We've done baptisms. God has really been moving, but um, we know we're called to South Africa, and we're looking forward to that season and transitioning into that season. So, just a little bit of history. We have been international for the last 11 years. Our children have grown up in African nations. We're excited to head back to Africa. In the meantime, we came back to the States so Sean could finish his seminary degree at Dallas Theological Seminary. He did that, but COVID stopped us. So we're here, we're stateside, and we did not want to stop serving. As Sean mentioned, we're here in Forum Park serving, but we cannot wait to get, to get back to South Africa. We have friends there, friends that are, have now become family, people that we're excited to serve with, to re reach at-risk communities in South Africa as well. There's so much um, work to do and a vast way of doing it. We can be creative, we can do things like gardening, we can do things like baking, we can do things like art. Um, God is so faithful to give us all of these different avenues with which to serve Him. Whatever we have in our hands, whatever talent He's given us, He wants, that to, he wants us to lay that back at His feet. And in doing so, He brings all the, 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 he, he brings all the ways that we can reap the benefits from that. God is so faithful. He is so good. We are so excited to be partnered with Cypress Bible. We're so excited that so many of you also love South Africa and God's placed South Africa on your hearts. Please join with us in worship from the innermost parts of our being. Let's worship our awesome God today. Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. I'm looking forward to the day when we can uh, tell you all to stand up and go shake somebody's hand, but we won't do that this morning. Um, since the last time Wayne and I led, the rest of the band quit on us, and uh, so maybe the next time it'll be just a guitar sitting up here or something. I don't know. We'll find out what happens in that. But as Wayne and I were practicing this week, uh, he, and he and I have played together, I think, for around 30 years uh, doing things, we realized that one of the things that uh, we are is music nerds and how growing up we would spend hours at the record store and we would pour over records. Which one are we gonna buy? Which, you know, is it this one, is it this one? Because we only had enough money for one, maybe two, right? Then we'd take it home and uh, we'd, we'd listen to it and we'd, it was like a tea ceremony back in those days, a Japanese tea ceremony, you'd uh, You'd pull out the album and you'd start reading the, the liner notes and you would, you would, you know, say who produced this, who played on it. And then we would, you, you'd clean the record. And for those of you who don't know what a record is, <laughs> I brought a visual. This is a disc washer. You would clean it. If you want to, if you have children who've never seen a disc washer, you can bring them up. This is, by the way, the deluxe edition. It's vintage now. 
And Wayne and I love music. We love playing it because it does something. I, uh, I've never danced in a sermon, but I've had music move me to movement. And I think it, when we sing things, again, it touches our soul in a different way. But it should touch us in this experience in a way that moves us, and, and Wayne and I in particular, and as we sing with you this morning, in a way that truly brings glory to God. Because that is really why we do this, is to bring glory to God. And so with that, we've got a couple songs here. Hopefully some of you will know them. And uh, please sing us, join us with this opening prayer from Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Consider my meditation Hearken unto the voice of my cry My King and my God For unto Thee will I Shalt thou hear in the morning? O oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will give ear to my words, O oh Lord. Consider my meditation Hearken unto the voice of my cry My King and my God For unto Thee will I My voice shall thou hear in the morning. O oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will come.
just as you are before your God come one day every tongue will confess you are God one day every knee will bow still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you Just as you are to worship, come, just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess you are God, one day every knee will bow, still the greatest treasure remains. One day every tongue will confess you are God One day every knee will bow Still the greatest treasure remains for those Who gladly choose you now Come, now is the time to work as you are to worship come just as you are before your God come come
my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I Precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life. No fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. First, first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power on hell, no scheme of man can home here in the power of Christ I stand here in the power of Christ I
You may be seated. Good morning. Glad that you have joined us to, as Sam said, uh, give glory to God. That's why we're here. Uh, I want to correct one or two things that uh, Sam said. I don't have time to correct all of them, so I'll just stick with one. The, we have 25 or 30 people involved in worship ministry. They did not all quit. Uh, his, his wife and daughter quit, and, and perhaps you can understand why. So we, we have this rotating opportunity of, of worship leaders, and Sam and Wayne are one of those, so glad for that. Glad that you have joined us as a church. Uh, we uh, seek to become more like Jesus as we gather, grow, and go. Gathering is a, a, a something that we need to do corporately together, worshiping as the people of God, to become who God wants us to be. And that corporate gathering should inspire and enable you and encourage you to live a life of worship uh, all through the rest of the week as well. And we grow together through life-changing truth, the truth of God's Word that we receive corporately, that we receive individually, that we study in small groups together, very important. And then we go in life life-changing mission, going on the mission to which Jesus has called and commanded us to share his good news across this world. And so glad that you have joined us in that. Over the last uh, several weeks, we've had the privilege of witnessing together uh, baptisms, people expressing their faith in Christ in each of our services over the last few weeks at 9, 30, and 11. So this morning, uh, we have that privilege again. I want to direct your attention to the baptistry, and uh, Pastor Evan will uh, introduce our candidate this morning. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that we can celebrate baptism today. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, uh, his instructions were very clear. Go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them. And so today, uh, we get to celebrate the life of someone who has made a decision to trust in Christ. Uh, Baptism is for those who believe in Christ, a way for them to outwardly identify with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so I'm so glad to say today in this service, Eunice Kilanton is declaring her faith in Jesus Christ. Come on in, Eunice. Eunice has been praying about this and seeking God's will for many years, uh, waiting for the right time. And so we're so glad that this is the time that she gets to be baptized. So she's going to share her testimony with you today. I believe in Jesus because I'm a sinner and I need a new eternal life. If God asked me to go to heaven, I would say, God, you're the only one. Your son died on the cross for our sins. And I'm very thankful that you chose me since the beginning of your creation. About three years ago, I asked my mom and dad if I could get baptized. I started to learn about God the Savior, the Holy Spirit, and his son, Jesus Christ, since I was attending CBC. And I was growing in knowledge about God. Right now, I'm, attend- I'm reading the Holy Bible with my family every single night because I want to learn about His Holy Word. I want to share His Word with other people and be a follower of Jesus Christ. God gave me confidence to talk to other people about our Savior, Jesus Christ. My favorite Bible verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Awesome. 
Yeah, go ahead. And so I invite the congregation to respond to the following charge with the words, I do. Um, as part of this local body of believers, do you agree to encourage Eunice as she follows Jesus and to invest in her as God gives you opportunity? I do. Wonderful. And Eunice, do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and has given you eternal life? I do. Do you desire to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism? I do. Wonderful. Let's go ahead and get right here. All right. So Eunice, based on your declaration of faith in Jesus as Lord, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Uh, we are just overwhelmed with how good you are um, in these seasons of uncertainty. One thing is true um, that we can hold on to, that, that you are still Lord um, and that you are still at work in the lives of your people. Um, and so thank you for the lives that you are changing, the hearts that you are, are stirring. Um, this is all for your glory, Lord. So thank you so much for the chance for us to come together to worship you and to declare that you are God and you alone deserve all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We have a lot of uh, different slogans in our culture, maxims, uh, things that are generally true that we, uh, uh, these, these slogans that we use, and some of them have been around for years and years here, just uh, some of them that uh, probably most of you would uh, identify with or recognize. Opposites attract, that's a slogan. The pen is mightier than the sword. Blood is thicker than water. No news is good news. Uh, slogans can be generally true, but they're not absolute truth. And just like in our culture, the culture of the ancient city of Corinth had some slogans that they used that were familiar. And uh, we know that because some of those slogans are included in Scripture. And uh, we're studying verse by verse through the Spirit-inspired letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he sent this letter to correct problems in this church that he'd started, uh, problems such as disunity and uh, sexual sin and spiritual pride and selfish behavior. And we pick up our, our study that uh, we started back in the fall. We pick up our study in chapter 10 uh, as Paul quotes one of these slogans uh, that uh, the uh, Corinthians used. Verse 23, all things are lawful. You see, it's a slogan. It's in quotation marks. That'll be the way it is most translations. But Paul follows up with, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So slogans, generally true, and Paul's showing the exception, much like you say, well, opposites attract. Well, and sometimes they hate each other, right? Uh, the pen is mightier than the sword, but not in a sword fight, right? Blood is thicker than water. Ew. Uh, no news is good news, or the internet is down. One of those uh, things is true. The things are generally true, but not always true. So Paul, in saying that, he's challenging this slogan. Uh, and the Corinthian attitude was, I'm free. I'm liberated. Uh, and Christians adopted that as well. And, 
And Paul says, just because you have permission, just because you have authority, liberty to do things, doesn't make it the best thing. And so the question is, how do you decide what is the good and the right thing to do? Many of you would be familiar with a decision tree. Uh, These are used in business and logic and all kinds of different ways. Uh, It's a flow chart used for making decisions. I prefer the the more humorous ones. And a very simple one you've probably seen before. It's uh, an engineering flow chart. It asks the question, does it move? If the answer is no, should it move? If the answer is yes, then you use WD-40. Uh, if it should move, should it move, and the answer is no, well, then you use duct tape. That's my, those are my two favorite tools right there, uh, not to mention the hammer. So uh, that's a, a very simple chart. I, I also like this chart about uh, should I have a cookie. So uh, the, the question is, well, you deserve a cookie, and whether you answer yes or no or maybe or well, that's a moot point because they're all going stale anyway. Uh, so I'm gonna. And what I like about this flow chart is, no matter which direction you go, you still end up with at least one cookie. That's the kind of flow chart that I like. So uh, why I point this out is because I see a bit of a decision tree in this text this morning in First Corinthians 10. Uh, The principles, the examples in this passage are a checklist to help figure out what to do. So I would call it, in a sense, a spiritual checklist uh, for decision-making. This is one way to uh, explicate, to go through this passage, uh, help you figure out some challenging situations. So let me throw a few challenging situations out there. Uh, You get an invitation to your cousin's wedding. It's a same-sex marriage. Should you attend? Or your group of friends is going in together on a South Padre spring break party package. Should you go? Or your Muslim neighbor is experiencing Ramadan right now, and, but after the 30 days of fasting, they invite you to Ed al-Fitir, which is the, the feast after the fast. Should you go? I think this passage might help address questions like this. A a checklist. There are five of these as we go through the text. Five items on this checklist. And and so let's begin with the first one. Number one, does it benefit others and promote their growth? That's the first question. That comes from verse 23 and 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So this is an attitude that Paul has already repeatedly confronted in the Corinthians and did so especially back in chapter 6, that because they'd experienced the grace of God, unmerited favor of God, many in the church felt that they were free to live however they wanted to live. And uh, Paul says, well, you may be within your rights to do something, uh, but that doesn't mean you should do it. Because the determining factor of what you do and don't do as a believer is not your rights, it's not your liberties, but it's the value of that thing. Is it helpful? That word means, does it have benefit? Is it useful? Is it profitable? What's to be gained by it? And then Paul follows that up by saying, you know, does it build up? Build up. Oiko... Demao is the, uh, the Greek word here that Paul uses, and it comes from oikos is the word for house. Demao talks about constructing or making, and so literally this means to build a house, to construct a house. Is it something constructive? 
And in a figurative sense, it means does this promote growth? Is there spiritual benefit from, that comes from this? And so uh, this Greek word is, is in some translations uh, translated as edify or edification. Does it build up? And so Paul says you might have the freedom to do it, but does it actually have some spiritual constructive value for life? Does this promote becoming more like Jesus? Does it promote spiritual growth? Now, to make certain that I don't focus just on what is helpful to me and what is building up me, Paul says, actually, the priority isn't your own good. It's the good of others. You must be concerned about your Christian community. So the question you're asking, does this actually benefit other people? Does this promote the the growth of other people? It's part of it. Will this strengthen the church? So uh, Years ago, I'm thinking of uh, of a guy who... Uh, was convinced that he had the gift of teaching. And so it was very important to him that he had a Bible class, and he led this Bible class, and he taught it uh, for some time. And the reality was the only people who would stay in that class after years were his wife, who felt she could not leave, a guy who was very hard of hearing and didn't know what was going on there in that class anyway because they were not doing sign language, uh, and just a handful of others. And it never grew, and when somebody died in that class, they were not replaced, and no one seemed to grow in Christ. It wasn't a positive experience. It was just a a class that went on forever for the benefit of this guy who thought he had the gift of teaching. And that is the opposite of how we should determine the value of something. It's not, does it benefit me? Does it build me up? But does it build the church up? Does it it benefit others as well? So that's the the first question on the checklist. Here's the second question. Is there an obvious connection to idolatry? You say, well, that's a hard one to figure out. Let's, Let's work at it. Verse 25. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you want to go, Eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. All right, now to make sense of this, we've got to look at the background a little bit. Um, The Christians in Corinth had some food challenges. And uh, one of those was that pagan temples were often like restaurants. You wanted to go out to, uh, to eat at a place, you generally would be going to a pagan temple in order to have that meal. And so they'd go there to eat, there would often be theater. So you'd have dinner and a show. But there also always was religious stuff going on to these idols, these false gods. Now last week we saw Paul warn the, the, the Christians not to attend that. You don't go out to dinner at a pagan temple, he said. Uh, some of the Christians were feeling, well, since these aren't real gods, we worship the one true God, then we're free in Christ to go to that pagan temple and, and have a dinner. But Paul says it's not just dinner, it's demonic. It's connected to idol worship. That was his, his point last week. But here, Paul is addressing a little bit of a different challenge that he's talked about before. See, a lot of the food, and some scholars believe most, if not all of the food, was uh, in Corinth, was dedicated, was blessed, uh, was sacrificed at a pagan temple. And so it would be very difficult to purchase food that had not been blessed in a pagan temple because after they blessed it uh, or after they sacrificed it and a piece was left in the temple, the rest of it was sold in the marketplace. 
and you go to the market and you buy your food and some Christians were struggling with that. Some, some Christians said, well, these gods aren't real, so we're free in Christ and so I have no problem eating that Aphrodite steak and seafood or whatever. But, uh, but, but Paul says, no, no, you've got to be careful here. Uh, some Christians then were, were doing uh, investigations into where this food came from. They were doing a deep dive. They were questioning the butcher at Food Demon. Where did this come from? Had this come from the temple? And Paul says, you're being overly scrupulous. Remember that word. You're being overly scrupulous. You're, you're looking, you're investigating too sharply. Don't ask awkward questions about how the sausage is made. What you need to do is focus on the larger principle. And what's that? Everything is the Lord's. He's the ultimate owner of everything. Focus on that. This is his world. Just buy the food in the marketplace. Don't ask questions about where it came from and make dinner. And don't tell your Bible class that you get all your vegetables at Pagan Progroups because it's going to offend some people. So, so you need to guard this. When you're, when you're shopping, just take things at face value. That, that's the first half of that sentence. So the, and then the second half, he says, well, he, he takes this example of what if an unbeliever invites you over to his house for dinner, for a meal? Don't do a deep dive into where they got their food. Don't ask if they bought this at Satan's supermarket. Don't go there. Just clean your plate. Eat everything that's put in front of you. That's the polite thing to do. Now the reality is that whether you're in Corinth or you're living here in Cyprus, in today's world, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything without touching or eating or hearing or seeing something that's connected to idolatry. You don't have to think very hard to realize that's true. I mean, you touch paper money, that paper money, unless it was just freshly printed, has been all kinds of places being connected to all kinds of things that probably uh, are, uh, have to do with idolatry. Any company that you buy from probably has some connection somewhere that prof- uses their profits in a way that connect to idolatry. So don't look too closely at that. Any music you listen to... Uh, secular or sacred. Uh, don't do a deep dive into the life of the composer or the lyricist because you're, you're, you're going to run into something somewhere that, that, that's going to cause a problem. Now, remember how idolatry is defined. It's not a statue. Uh, we, we talked last week that an idol is anything we look to for happiness, meaning, and identity more than God. And so whenever you use a created thing to fulfill a desire that only the Creator can ultimately fulfill, then you're committing idolatry. And so that idol can be a person. That it can be an achievement, a possession, an experience. And idolatry is putting too much emphasis, looking for health and happiness and, and uh, satisfaction from that person more than God, or from that thing more than God. And so as a Christian, you must avoid anything with an obvious, clear connection to idolatry. And I say that, be obvious and clear connection. Because I'm saying, if you do a deep dive, Paul says, look, don't look too hard. Take it at face value. You do a deep dive, you're going to be connected in a lot of ways. But if it has an obvious and clear connection uh, to idolatry, that's what you need to avoid. So if uh, your coworker says, hey, I want to support your mission trip to Belize, uh, and I'm going to do that using the extra money that I make on my OnlyFans porn site, you probably should say, thank, but no thanks. Because that's an obvious connection. Probably should decline. If you're invited to a political rally that views our Constitution as on par with Scripture, or it promotes a politician as the Messiah, you should decline. 
there's an obvious connection to idolatry. Uh, If you're asked to buy a ticket to a fundraising dinner for Planned Parenthood, and and you know that they are heavily invested in abortion, you probably should decline. So there's this obvious connection to idolatry. So these are the first two parts of the checklist. Number one, does it benefit others and promote their growth? Number two, is there an obvious connection to idolatry? Third on the checklist, will it cause someone else to stumble? Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own, for why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So Paul comes up with another twist in a situation, another example here. As a guest, you eat what's put before you. Don't ask questions. But if somebody else points out that this meat, this meal, has been offered to idols, then you need to avoid it. Now there's some scholarly debate about who that someone who says this would be. I can tell you definitively it's not the host uh, of the the dinner, the guy who invited you to dinner. Uh, Paul uses an indefinite pronoun here. This is someone, someone else at the table. So it, it could be possibly another Christian who is a guest. I think that's unlikely. I think more likely it's a different unbeliever who's at that table who happens to know the origin of this food and decides to share that information with you. So this person who tells you that information either has a problem with it themselves or here's what's more likely. They think that since you're a Christian you should have a problem with it. And that's why they're telling you. That's why they're warning you. And Paul says, he he just, he flexes with the situation. He says, this is not the time to exercise your rights. This is not the time to prove the strength of your faith. This is the time to guard against any kind of misunderstanding. And so don't eat because you've been told this and it's going to bother this person. So uh, whether, don't don't, uh, offend, whether it's a, a Jew or a Greek, don't offend the church of God. Don't cause them to stumble. Uh, the Greek word for this refers to a anything that someone would trip over, putting a stumbling block in their path that causes them to trip, to damage their faith, to damage their ability to, to see what Christ is doing. So a couple of examples. Um, 16 years ago now, my father died, and my brother and I sang a duet at at. Uh, uh, as service, not by our choosing. Our mom wanted us to do it. And we sang a, uh, a wonderful worship hymn that was popular at that time. And uh, just in recent times, the uh, songwriter of that worship hymn has been credibly accused of sexual assault. And the, the accusations go back to the time when he actually wrote that hymn that we enjoyed. Now, if that had been public knowledge at the time of the funeral... I would not have sung it. The song is still good. It doesn't change the value of the song, but the scandal of the artist could well be a stumbling block to others who would know that information. See, that, that's how you, you need to ask that question. Uh, another uh, example, for about 10 years, I was the uh, chaplain of our local fire department where I was living, and um, our, our church built, at that time we built a, a brand new building, and 
when we were in it, then the fire department wanted to come over and take a tour to see it as, you know, potential uh, emergency situation. They wanted to be sure where everything was. And so I took about 30 members of the fire department on a tour through the facility, and we ended up in my office, which was a little crowded, but it was a big office, and all 30 of us in there. The entire, all the walls were lined with books, all my books, probably 3,000 books. It was floor to ceiling and actually too tall, and it interfered with the, the sprinkler system, and they weren't happy about that. But they gave me a warning, and they're, they're standing in my office, and we're talking around, and all of a sudden, I mean, I have thousands of books, and one of those firefighters spotted one book that is 65 pages long, and so it's very tiny, and on the spine, it was written the title. Now, is everything in my library things that I absolutely believe in? No, and this was true with this one. This is a book by Karl Marx called A World Without Jews. And out of, a, out of all my books, somebody spotted that one, drew that to the attention of one of our firefighters, Harry, who was Jewish, and said, Harry, look what the bastard has in his office. And I was mortified. Everybody but me and Harry were laughing. Uh, I'm, I'm horrified. I've offended. I'm surely offended. I'm like, I, you know, this is not something I believe. This is just, I had this for a history class. I'm trying to explain and backpedal and all the rest. I took the book off the shelf. I threw it in the trash. It was done. But in a very innocent way, I realized how easily I can be offending someone just by a simple choice like that. And so you must be careful. Uh, be careful. That's asking that question. Will it cause someone else to stumble? Here's the fourth the fourth question, can you rightly give thanks to God? Verse 30, if I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So Paul goes back to his original example of being invited to dinner by an unbeliever. Now, of course, it's permissible, it's polite to eat whatever they put in front of you, because unless there's some obvious connection to idolatry, you can thank God for it. And if you're able to thank God for it truly as the ultimate provider, then who can blame you for enjoying this meal? And as a believer, you should look at everything in life that way. Everything, because the earth is the Lord's, Paul said earlier in verse 26. Uh, and as James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. So it's all ultimately God is the provider. But receiving everything with thanksgiving has obvious limits. Obvious limits. It can't be an escape clause for sinful choices. So, you know, I, where years ago two people had an affair, each of them was married to somebody else, both of them claimed to be followers of Jesus, and they felt this strong connection, not just physical and emotional, but they felt a spiritual connection with one another as they were married to other people. And so they prayed before they slept together every time. And they were excusing their sin by thanking God. Uh, they were making the mistake of uh, the, the power of their sexual desire as a blessing from God. So there's obvious limits to, to giving thanks to God in, in certain scenarios. Um, I, uh, years ago, was tasked with writing an article, and to do the research for it, we had traveled to, I had the privilege of traveling to St. Louis. To, it was an historical event, and I got to take Amy with me, so we spent several days together in St. Louis as I did research on this article. And the historical event that took place there that I was writing about, um, where the, basically where the spot was where that took place, now stood a riverboat casino. And it was shocking and jarring that, that that's what was there. So Amy and I decided we w went aboard the first time we ever went to a casino. We went through, uh, walked aboard this casino. And it, it, was, a, it was a little eye-opening and, and sad in some ways because... 
Um, we, there were some people that seemed to be enjoying themselves, surely, and there were others who were just mindlessly wasting time and money, and others who were clearly ruining their lives, it seemed. And uh, we thanked God. We thanked God that this held no attraction to us. Uh, I thank God for the article that was inspired as a result. Uh, as we're leaving, busloads of senior citizens arrived. Buses regurgitated these, uh, these senior citizens who were very eager to get into the casino, and that was a very sad thing, because clearly some of them uh, this was this, they should not have been there uh, for a variety of reasons. I like, wonder if any of them were claiming to follow Christ. How could you possibly thank God for traveling to a casino in order to gamble uh, if that was, you know, especially if you had limited means or you were using your time in an incorrect way? While we were free to be there, um, spending much time or money there was not something for which we could rightly thank God. So that, that's the key word. Can you rightly give thanks to God for something? That's the fourth item. The fifth item is, well, let, we'll move right to the fifth one. Does it point to the Savior? Verse 31. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. That's the plan I follow too. I try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what I like or what's best for me, but what is best for them so they may be saved. And you should follow my example just as I follow Christ's. So Paul's ministry philosophy was he's willing to do anything other than sin in order to win people to Jesus. That was the message that uh, he gave in chapter 9. I called it Run to Win. Paul emphasizes he's very willing to set aside his rights and privileges for the good of others, most of all, not just simply for their good, but most of all so that they might be saved. And so if an unbeliever invites him to dinner, Paul's going to go so he can minister to that unbeliever. And he's going to eat whatever's put in front of him. Uh, if it's a vegetarian meal, and Paul's not a vegetarian, but if it's a vegetarian meal, he's going to eat that. He's not going to complain. If it's meat that might have some connection to idolatry, Paul's not going to ask any question. He's going to eat it. And he works hard at pleasing other people. Oresco is the Greek word for please here. And Paul uses that same word in chapter 7, verse 33, to say how a husband is to be concerned to oresco his wife, to please his wife to accommodate his wife, to make her happy. And can I get an amen from the women there? All right, well, verse 30. Husband, too. So she should accommodate and please and make her husband happy. So it goes both ways. In marriage, you accommodate each other. You put their, their interests before your own. And Paul says, I do that for everybody. I arrest everybody. I accommodate everybody uh, so that I might point them to the Savior. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what? Saved. You will be saved. Salvation is trusting in Christ alone, the Son of God who took the punishment that we deserve for our sin on himself and was executed, his blood poured out as the perfect atoning sacrifice so that all who believe are made holy and become new creations, become sons and daughters of the living God. And Paul was willing to go anywhere, to eat anything, to meet anyone in order to share that message. And not only did he do that for unbelievers, 
He did that for believers. He makes that very clear in this passage. He did it for believers too. And he's, help, he's setting an example to help them become more like Jesus. As he follows Jesus, he wants them to follow Jesus. So let's turn these five questions into a decision tree that I created myself. And there's no cookies on there. But other than that, let's work it through. The first question, is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? If the answer is no, if it's not going to build up others, then maybe you shouldn't do it. If the answer is yes, then you go to the next question. Is it connected to, obviously, to idolatry? If the answer is no, well, yes, then you s- stop. If it's no, go on to the Is it going to cause somebody else to stumble? Somebody who's there fall or, or be offended by that? Is no, then you go to that next question. Can you rightly be thankful for this, whatever it is that you're doing? If the answer is no, you probably should stop. If the answer is yes, then you go to that last one, which does it point to Jesus? Does it point to salvation? Uh, if the answer is no, then you probably should stop. If the answer is yes, then that seems to be a good spiritual decision. So let's work a couple of situations through this tree. If a friend or family member invites you to their wedding with a same-sex partner, how do you show love to them without seeming to condone this union? I've been asked that question dozens of times. And it's just not a carte blanche. I just, it's not just a simple yes or no answer. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, because where do you draw the line between celebration and rejection? That seems to be where everybody's at. Either I'm celebrating this or I'm rejecting them completely. Uh, it's not that simple. How can you be Christ-like in this situation? Well, actually, your response depends on a number of factors, one of which is whether this couple claims to follow Jesus or not. If they do claim to follow Jesus, then 1 Corinthians 5 indicates you probably shouldn't even be eating with them uh, because that's a whole different scenario. If they don't claim to know Christ, then you should demonstrate love and care uh, while stopping short of like absolute celebration and agreement, and that's not easy to do. Let's say the couple isn't claiming faith, and yet they have a Christian ceremony in some way. That might not be something you would be able to attend. Uh, But over all of that, do not forget this overarching principle of how much you should be willing to bend, accommodate, so that others may be saved. Uh, Your end goal, understand, your end goal is not to make sure everybody knows that you believe homosexuality is sinful. That's not your end goal. Your end goal is not so that everybody knows that same-sex marriage is not God's design. And because, let me repeat, changing somebody's views of sexuality will not get them to heaven. Um, Only faith in Jesus will. Morality will not wash away sin. Only the blood of Jesus washes away sin. I wish Christians would hear that today uh, and understand the crucial part of this. So be sure that you are making salvation the highest priority in your decision-making. What about, about the uh, spring break party package to South Padre Island? I use that because I looked it up. There is such a thing, but I'm not advocating it. All right. So you'd ask, is this helpful to build up others? And you say, well, I'm building relationships with these guys that I'm going with, and you know it's going to strengthen that. So you know maybe maybe it's helpful to others. Is there an obvious connection to idolatry? Well, if it's all about getting drunk and hooking up, well, it is connected to idolatry, and you shouldn't go. If it's about having fun on the beach with with some friends, then then not so much. Uh, Will it cause others to stumble? Well, is there a believer who knows that you're going and is so offended by that? You need to take that into consideration. Or are there unbelievers on this trip who can't believe that you as a Christian would join them in this? You need to take that into consideration. 
Will this trip be a good example to others about how you follow Christ, or will it not? Will this be a time when you share the gospel with others? Will this help point them to the Savior, Jesus? So you need to work through that decision tree. And the overarching principle that, that we see in this passage is that God is glorified when you put the needs and interests of other people before your own. Paul talks about glorifying God in everything that you do. And so when you put the needs and issues of others before your own, that's how you glorify God. And right now, many in our country, and sadly, too many who are claiming to be Christians, are putting personal rights and freedoms ahead of what benefits other people. And God is not being glorified by the church, by, the, by Christians when that's happening. Exercising your liberty will not build up others. Uh, exercising your liberties will not point to Jesus. Paul's very clear about that here. When you get up in the morning, what's the deciding factor for what you do or don't do? Uh, how can you glorify God? Look for ways to put others before yourself. And sometimes when you think about glorifying God, and that's, that's the title of this sermon, is, is uh, soli deo gloria, which means glory to God alone. And when you think about glorifying God, you might think of just big things. Big things like, uh, well, I have to be a missionary to glorify God. Go overseas somewhere. I, I, I need to maybe uh, work in a homeless shelter uh, to glorify God. M maybe I need to adopt orphans to glorify God. But understand that uh, God, those are all great things. God is not going to call every one of us to do all of those things or any of those things. But God does call us all who follow Jesus to do something so basic, and that is to put others' needs before our own. Every single one of us can and should do that. That's how you glorify God. Every single morning you wake up, you think about how can I put the needs of others before my own so that I might glorify God. And if you're interested in that, you're going to think about others and it's going to change your behavior. You can't glorify God without caring about other people. You can't do it. You can't do it. Sola Deo Gloria. God's glory is the end of everything. So may you approach what you eat, what you drink, and anything you do as a way to bring glory to God alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for calling us into this world that is complex and challenging at times. Every single one of us faces difficult decisions and we face uh, uh, challenges that we're not quite sure how to navigate. So by your Spirit, Lord, help us to, to navigate in a way that brings you glory. Like, even, even this day, may we think about how to please others and ultimately please you. We need the power of your spirit to do that. We need knowledge of your word to do that. So Lord, pour that upon your people in this day and age. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Join us as we bring some glory to God. In the name of Jesus. Above all names, 
Now, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.